This is David Nage with my co-host Amanda Frankel. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors learn about crypto. Welcome back to Baselayer. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer with Stephen Mackey from Momentum. This is going to be a long conversation. Stephen is a highly technical and highly experienced investor and builder in the space. In crypto, it's been funny. I was talking to Zachy from Cosmos, uh, who will be on the show soon, too. And we were talking about how one year in crypto equals 10 years. And so Stephen's been in the space for roughly about six or seven years. So that gives him about 60 or 70 years in crypto years. Really experienced. We talked about um, his early days his love and passion for playing on the internet and teaching himself uh, tricks and ways to actually code and write script and how he moved into college and really um, used a lot of those techniques uh, to support himself and really try to generate his own wealth in the future, which he's done pretty well so far. Um, And so it's been an interesting evolution for Steven. Um, and what we talked about is some of the things that he's been doing at Amentum. Uh, he's investing in some interesting projects that I've been watching, like Handshake, Namebase, Scent, um, and a few others out there. TokenSoft is another one. Really, really knowledgeable. Uh, talks a lot in depth about the nuances of those projects. So, you know, on a 101 basis, he's going to get a little deep. So it's good to know about some of these projects at a higher level and then get into a little weeds, which Stephen definitely does for us. Really long conversation, great conversation. Uh, put on your, your shoes and uh, get on the treadmill and listen if, you, if that's what you do. Remember, nothing on Base Layer is investment advice. Please do your own research. On the flip side, you heard from our sponsor, and then you're going to hear the show with Stephen. Enjoy. Today's family offices and hedge funds face a number of challenges when it comes to trading and managing their crypto portfolios. On the trading front, siloed liquidity, opaque execution, and questionable compliance deter entry. On the management front, spreadsheet and manual workflows are still the de facto solution. These infrastructure and usability problems, which have been long solved in traditional finance, still need to be addressed in crypto. Lumina has set out to solve these problems. Go to lumina.app to learn more. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. We have Stephen Mackey with us from Momentum Capital, founding partner. Uh, we were able to connect uh, via this beautiful universe that is happening in crypto, and uh, we were just going to have a nice conversation here about what Steven's doing. He's got an amazing story uh, for those that don't know. Um, it's actually something that I think is emblematic of Bitcoin and within crypto, how you can kind of rise up. And this gives you the ability to have your own kind of sovereignty. And so it's a great story. But for you know the, the listeners, I want to give you a few minutes to kind of you know quickly talk about yourself, what, what you're doing, who you are. And then we've got a bunch of questions to kind of go into what more, uh, you're doing in Momentum and some of the projects that you guys are looking at. Yeah, of course. So I'll try and keep everything as concise and cut and dry as I can because I have a, uh, a tendency to uh, – uh, you know, meander in my conversations. Given I also have a podcast too, so I'll try and be aware of that. Podcast so stop, brothers, I mean, if I podcast brothers, let's go. Let's wax so, on. Um, so, so okay. So, uh, just quickly about me, without getting too uh, thick in the weeds. Uh, been around in crypto now for, as you said, about six or seven years now. Coming on in November, I got on when I was about twenty-two. Uh, I was in college at the time. I was studying CS and writing. Uh, and then shortly after getting into crypto, I made a swap over to um, systems engineering because I had always been so familiar with networking, um, computers, programming, and, and all that stuff. I had always been really good at writing. So I just didn't want to concretely focus on two things that I, I was already knew that I could you know, do well. I wanted to focus on something that would uh, compound those skills. So I switched to systems engineering, which is like, you know, state technical project management, engineering management, um, plus business. And so I was able to, uh, do all of like my, 
programming all my requirements, all that stuff throughout that through, through the college. And then also like, you know, kind of focus on how do you build sustainable like systems, businesses and et cetera um, from the ground up and kind of like run the whole show as opposed to like just building or maintaining one particular modular component. And and, you know, the idea that wasn't like some chase of like megalomania just to like build a company. It was, you know, I come from a very poor background as a first generation college student. Um, you know, I was putting myself through college through combination of like grants and loans. Um, and so, you know, I really didn't have any other, uh, I guess, like choice um, in the matter. Uh, like I just really wanted to make sure that I could come out of school with like my past and middle class, but also at the same time, like have an opportunity to build some modicum of like generational wealth. I didn't want to just be a guy that came out of school and just had like my student loans handled and and, all, and everything was and everything else was just a struggle. Uh, I didn't. I worked way too hard uh, up until that point, which is an even longer story that we won't go into, to to have to deal with that. So I honed in on that focus focus and um, started working in the crypto space and on a bunch of different projects. Uh, Uphold, um, which was previously called BitReserve. I was one of the uh, uh, first jobs I worked on kind of like kind of full time, like contractually um, while I was still in college doing uh, rapid response, responding to regulators, um, ghostwriting, reading some of the things from the CEO, the marketing team that was going out, all that stuff, basically like dotting their I's and crossing in their T's, making sure that they were talking about crypto, educating about crypto and, and uh, building and speaking publicly about their company in the right way in relation to crypto. Um, and so that was like my first four way into like kind of like getting a deep insights into how everything was kind of working together. And so then I made my way out to the West Coast um, where I started uh, working on another job doing like data science, uh, data analytics uh, and natural language processing. Uh, and they kind of paved the way for me to move out here and like kind of capture that expense for me. Um, and then I was able to focus more in on crypto after about eight months of being here and then moved over like full time. So um, since then I've started block channel, uh, which is my news publication and podcast. And then I've worked at purse and uh, worked on, uh, on the Bitcoin team there, um, helping them with like growth engineering, helped on the purse side with partnerships, uh, product, uh, uh, just generalized, like, just like management and just kind of just like everything, you know, like you do in crypto, um, right. even helped manage some money at one point. So uh, as like a kind of like a jack of all trades, but, but and when necessity came, I had to be a intermediate or in, in, in all things in order to like be as useful as I could be. So I've just, since then, I've, you know, continued to build my company and get everything up and running. Um, but all that had just been like through like sheer grit and necessity. Uh, didn't have any other choice. I think that's a great, that's a great thing. You know, there's not, we're losing that, I think, as a generation, as a society. We're losing that kind of, you know, kind of fight or flight type of mentality where, you know, the generations before us, you know, you know, our grandfathers and fathers before that had to fight mm -hmm. wars and they had to do, you know, lots of things for survival purposes. I think people are forgetting that in a sense. And I, I really kind of I'm taken by the fact that you had that mentality. I'm curious, you know, as I've got some kids and, you know, I'm trying to get them to do you know, more coding, you mm -hmm. were in college and you did CS. Do you think that's really kind of if you don't know coding and if you mm -hmm. don't take computer science or you know for the future generations the next five to ten to fifteen years are are they going to be at a, a severe kind of detriment do you think yeah so so here let me sort of break it down to you so for me like i got my first computer and i was probably like eight or nine i spent like 1998 1999 somewhere around there so when i started playing on computers i didn't really have anybody to teach me it was like here's this expensive thing in front of me then my parents said at the time my dad had rented it from uh rent -a center it was a gateway all-in-one it was really cool and uh and he was like you know like have fun with that but he didn't have any idea of what to do aside from maybe cut it on and so for me it was a lot of exploratory like don't click this don't click that don't delete this don't delete that here's how our operating system works here's how you install something to get on the internet here's all the cool things on the internet. Here's all the cool things you can play with on the internet. And it was just like a constant like discovery for me of being on, being online, being a part of online communities, learning the, learning how people converse online, talk online, the norms online on 
like how you divulge yourself and you know like either remain yourself or you remain pseudo anonymous or you remain anonymous the world the web was this just interesting place for me to be a part of and it was like my way of like kind of like at the end of the day after school tapping into the what the rest of the world had going on that i was so isolated from and so a lot of folks might not have that isolation but for me that, that it was my only window out into everything else and so uh you know that being said uh, you know, I had a, a, a much more deeper focus to learn about what was going on because one, I was enamored of the fact that I knew something very intimately that my parents didn't. But then when it came to things like scripting, things like that, programming, I didn't have anyone from technical nature, no one that went to college for that stuff, no one. So a lot of it was just like just prying around, watching tutorials online, getting into trouble, um, you know, had some like scripts that like auto played like these online games for all these points and stuff. And then a lot of it was just like self-discovery through like my friends and stuff like that. And then in high school, I, I to round out all that knowledge, I did a, a two year long like networking class, um, which teaches you like, you know, network typologies, how to set up networks, how to build them, how to basically like vocational school for if you're going to come out and just do like generalized hands on like hardware, IT, building computers and all that stuff. And so it was a part that I really wanted to like learn. And so I did that in, in college, in high school too. And then when, you know, when I got to college and was studying CS, again, that's just a lot of math, a lot of, hey, here's, alg here's how algorithms work, algorithm design, here's a random language, maybe java maybe javascript maybe c plus um, plus and it's usually c plus plus i would think for some or java just to teach like you know the best programming practices um you know just getting folks down to understanding the different syntax um and uh and stuff like that and so those types of things are things that can be taught and definitely in a cl classroom um, you might have to play a little bit of catch up from everyone that has you know, uh, you know, folks like me that have been playing around since it, when they were a kid, but a lot of that stuff isn't directly attributable to the curriculum and they'll teach you, you know, they'll teach you how to, you know, set up your programming environment and install dependencies, teach you like the waterfall method, you know, for like building programs and applications mm -hmm. that will teach you all these modular parts, but you know, they don't necessarily, they don't teach you how to like fix a computer when it's broken, how to uninstall install program, how to deal with network drivers how to take apart a computer how to all these other things right. that if you don't have respect for them you don't understand how hard it is to just write the software or to just help figure out how to scale particular architecture and that's what i realized when i was in school and also at the same time i was studying like creative writing trending towards journalism um because i'd always learned writing and then so what i learned to realize it was like okay so computer science wants to teach me this certain small component of uh this thing that i've been so in love with for so long which is just generally all computers and all things computers and then on the writing side they only wanted to teach you like formalized like structure and procedure when it comes to like writing in various different styles if you're mm -hmm. a good writer that carries through no matter what and so you, you learn that like you can learn the program but you're still gonna have to learn everything else right so um so it's either either one of those is going to come before the other and you're going to be either a really, really good writer, very, very well spoken first, and then the technical stuff can come later, or you'll be really, really technical first, and then all, and then you have to do learn all the writing and social stuff. For me, it was easier to learn all the nerdy shit first, and then, and then, and then afterwards, like learn all the social stuff. So right. I was like completely socially crypted, uh, excuse me, crippled, probably for the first good like 14, 15, 16 years of my life, because the way I interacted was how people interact online. Mm -hmm. and then and then i had to learn how do people actually interact in the real world so it's it's a blessing and a curse to spend all that time to be a low-level subject matter expert um, when it comes to programming and stuff the younger you get it the faster you pick it up right but the faster you pick it up the faster you're leaving something else behind so you know yeah so I, I would never look at it as like you know it's like you either have it or you don't i mean everyone eventually will need to learn these things but I think it's just going to come about as a matter of necessity. So if you've got children now, I'm sure that they're going to have to learn to pick it up. So we've had people on the show that have had coding backgrounds that have been building systems that have been building some of the projects that we all use today. Mm -hmm. But I haven't had a chance to ask this to anyone specifically with your kind of background and tool set. So mm -hmm. If you look at the world of crypto today and you look at Bitcoin, blockchain, you look at Ethereum, you look at some of the other protocols that are out there, one of the issues has been 
there's a barrier to entry kind of in a sense in terms of developer kits, in terms of having to rewrite everything, in, in terms of, you know, kind of as we look at the normal kind of Internet 2.0, the one that we use every day to go online to, you know, go on Amazon.com. It's pretty standard these days. It's been around, you know, the, the coding architecture, the language has been around for a while. It's JavaScript. It's, you know, kind of Python. It, it's nothing too, you know, difficult. Where do you think we are right now in the state of the state of making the the language and the architecture of crypto more accessible to more developers out there? Yeah, okay. So um, to, to focus just concretely first on the developers, I mean, that, that match duration cycle is is a matter of itself it's like a cycle so you know for crypto itself it's very very you know it takes a lot of like low level understanding whether it's like cryptography whether it's just to generalize like computer science the game theory all that data source stuff like that stuff is difficult um but when it comes to i guess like trying to pick up on i guess where i guess was the general question like kind of where all this stuff is going to end up going in the long term and, and maybe kind just sort of like give, give kind me a of the state of, what of the, the state is. the state of the state so are we at a place like with the internet you know i, I was talking to one yeah, of our yeah, guests yeah. Okay, the other that, day so that, okay. with the okay, internet yeah, no problem, no problem. you so, had so, wix you had wix yep. where you could go and basically it's plug and play Anyone with some level of knowledge was able to build a, a website, basically, and then boom, you're on. Oh the, no, no, no! I got you. On. I got you now. I got you now. So, 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 generally, kind of like where we're at right now is just we're in a matter of like we're in this constant like feedback loop of like application infrastructure, application like infrastructure, and the reason we're like that is because these tools are so low, look low level, and they're so difficult. There's there's so much esoteria that's tied up behind them that and that stuff has to disseminate from those subject matter experts out in order to become things like very well defined tutorials excellent like boilerplates you know with that are like very well commented and you know kind of like making sure that they you know have all the gotchas and if you you know go off the beaten track like this might happen and etc like those things come in time those resources come in time so like if you build a new technology and you only have three or four people that help build it and they only are the ones that have the complete low-level understanding of it, it starts this process of, okay, then who are the next people going to come around? The the product marketers, the the marketers, the um, uh, the, the sales folks, the, the, the educators, who are going to come back and like slowly pick up tidbits from these individuals, this, eso, this esoteria, and slowly convert it into like new materials and tutorials that can slowly grow that pie of like knowledge. And so once that stuff starts, stops getting locked up, um, you know, it becomes more commonplace. So that's kind of one of the focuses that we wanted to do with our publication block channel is we wanted to take things like governance, crypto economics, uh, you know, like crypto investing, that all this stuff. And we wanted to create this kind of like evergreen field of folks who like kind of just come by and like pick up knowledge that they otherwise might not find other places as concretely. And this serves a, a major purpose because without this uh, process and this feedback loop, we never actually get to, you know, really great coding documentation, you know, really, you know, excellent communities of like mentors that can, you know, assist folks in like understanding these new technologies, et cetera. The money helps um, expedite this feedback loop process a lot because we have, you know, incentives. Uh, and, you know, obviously, if there's capital necessary and liquidity to, to pay individuals for teaching, educating and, you know, disseminating this information. But that has to happen. So what has been happening for the past decade has been just that um, we had, you know, the creation of like Bitcoin, the proliferation of that, the proliferation of like kind of the, the narrative around drugs and dark net markets, which kind of just were the original precursors of, hey, this thing might have use, which then, you know, evolved more into like the exchanges and then further speculation, which grew into, you know, the ICO boom and then so on and so forth. And we got cool things like crypto kitties we've got folks focused on things like cold storage custodies people mm -hmm. are working on concepts and ideas like uh you know etfs um, we've got cool social networks popping up for these different um ecosystems we've got all sorts of tools and services that you can think of mm -hmm. uh you know in relation to decentralized exchanges and so basically as new bound speculators come on that understand the technology at a certain level for what it can do based on what quality of current existing educational resources are available that will dictate where our next focuses lie so you know 
Crypto Kitties came along and that showed us that people wanted something interesting, cool, novel, similar to Web 2, but just had a little bit of like the crypto goodness baked into it to give it some novelty, some affair, some rarity. And that was cool and that took off. But then immediately once that took off, it realized, oh man, you don't actually need to poll and write things like on chain all the time. You don't actually need to, uh, you know, uh, batch your, you know, your transactions in this such a way. You don't, you should actually do X, Y, Z. Like basically we're learning all these best practices for how to use crypto for applications that people would want to use. Mm -hmm. But we have to first discover those applications with what tools we have available, put, lay those out there. Let folks break it and then iterate again. Right. Um, and then like that's like, you know, that's just like this natural organic evolution that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the more educators that we have educating, more folks podcasting, more folks that we have writing, the faster all that stuff happens. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so. As you know, in podcast crypto land, everyone always asks the origin story, and I actually don't like to do that. I actually like to focus on not when Bitcoin, but necessarily, more necessarily, why Bitcoin. You know, what what about it? What about it really resonated with you? What about it yeah. really said this is you know where I want to spend a lot of my time either developing i want to be building around it i want to you know dedicate my professional career to it not necessarily again the when but exactly why what about the the technological revolution associated with it really kind of resonated with you so my uh my entrenchment definitely happened in uh in tranches it's not definitely something that happens all at once um given that when i first discovered it i think it was like november of like 2010 2012 is when I've kind of like laid it down. It was right before uh, finals. Um, and uh, I was just like trolling around online. I was looking for torrents. I think I was on like Pirate Bay or something like that. And I came across it like a donation link on either somebody's torrent page itself or somewhere on Pirate Bay, something of that nature. And I just saw an advertisement that just said donate in Bitcoin. And I was just like, huh. You know, I saw the other options, PayPal, et cetera, all that good stuff. And I had also just saw Bitcoin and I had heard about it on the, like I had like heard about it in passing, but I never thought about it. But then I finally saw this thing and I was like, well, let me just like take a couple minutes and just kind of look and see what this stuff's all about. And uh, so, you know, I just kind of like Googled it and looked into it and I was just like, huh, I was intrigued by it. And the idea that it was like money online and I had always been on the internet playing around online, interacting with different people, um, trading around different digital point equivalents amongst each other but nothing that ever had any sort of real dollar backing um at one point i you know interacted with this uh gaming site that was called beyond.com b-y-o-n-d and you would like basically use a credit card and purchase what were called digital dimes which were digital representations of a dollar uh, that they had on their system and then you would trade those for like these different sprites and characters like in the game and uh you know for for me like that was like that was intriguing to be able to collect and to do these things and play around with the skills that I had to collect these digital monies that didn't really mean anything. But in college, the time that I spent online meant a lot because I was broke and, you know, I was always trying to look for the next opportunity to like make a quick buck. And then the quick buck wasn't to just like, you know, enjoy myself. The quick buck was to just make sure I had what I needed so I could actually focus on, you know, the the academics. And so, um, you know, over the course of like that year of like late 2012 and then into like 2013, I had a, uh, a news publication called Slash Gadgets and I decided to just write about it and to talk about it and to put it out there to like my tiny little audience that I'd grown um, just because I just thought it was just so cool and just wanted to like geek about it. And, you know, from there, I just I saw opportunities to like make money online by, uh, uh, you know, educating other people writing about it more but also like learning and seeing other opportunities where i could maybe invest smaller sums of money that like i had you know as a potential to just spent all my time on a computer right so it, i just saw it as another reason to just stay around on my computer and to potentially like you know one make some money but two also learn about something that i thought was like really cool i just have always been like a beast for complexity i like things that are just really hard um, and, and because it challenges me and it just, it, it frustrates me when I don't get something immediately. Cause I like to pick things up really fast. So things that I can't get really fast are really interesting. That would be um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I just, uh, you know, got enamored with it. And, and for me, it was a matter of 
is there an opportunity here to have some sort of sustainable income? But also, is there an opportunity here to learn something cool, given all my experience of spending time online? This definitely seems like something that's very intriguing, um, especially as someone who's, you know, used peer-to-peer services like LimeWire and, you know, Napster and things like mm-hmm. that throughout, like, my years, of, like, you know, downloading music and things like that. Like, I just feel immediately comfortable with the concept and the idea that I didn't really bat an eye at it. And I was like, cool, yeah, money while on the internet. Yeah, that sounds great. Finally, someone figured that out. Uh, and I didn't even think about it. It was just like, cool, this, this looked like the time to jump into this. So so for me, I guess this all in all, it was like generalized like curiosity on the intellectual front, but also the financial side. Right. Yeah, this, there's a narrative that we've been talking about um, collectively as a group and amongst peers. There's this narrative that the internet was a mechanism for transference of knowledge and information. Whereas Bitcoin and the blockchain, Bitcoin blockchain and other blockchains out there is the transference of wealth. And, you know, there's this difference. You know, we have to try to, in terms of educators, because I know you're an educator too, you know, there's this notion, it's not that difficult where we have to kind of say, okay, you once had information, you had things that you wanted to post about, you had things you wanted to write about, you kind of shared it with the world. But now you also have the same utilization of this network to actually move around your assets by yourself. And so I I think it's an interesting narrative that will continue to flush out. But moving more to Amentum, your fund, you've been at this now for a while. And I'm curious to kind of hear about what you're doing at the fund, what your focus is. And then we have some of the projects that you've been investing in, some of your portfolio that I want to dig into. Someone who's been using the internet for so long is now investing in things that are decentralizing the internet. So I'm very curious to hear more about that. So talk to us about Amentum, about the mandate, and about why you built the fund. Yeah, of course. So again, yeah, I'll try and keep this as succinct as I can. (laughs) Uh, So kind of just in short, uh, momentum came as another kind of uh, tranche in this whole like milestone of like necessity for me. I've been in the space for about five and a half like ish years. At that point, I was I was coming down and working at about purse for about two years, as I was saying, working on product and like growth engineering stuff. So uh, we had just come out of a very you know extensive, or we were still in the midst of a very extensive bull market. And for me, I saw it as okay. So it looks like crypto itself is legitimizing. And it's becoming more whole. I'm out of college now. I'm working these jobs. I've been investing in and out of crypto for many years. I guess it's time to like level myself up, right? And to also um, legitimize myself further if I wanted to continue to play this game. As like it seemed uh, the bull market wasn't going to go on forever. I knew that. But I also knew that the bull market was going to bring along like regulators accordingly. Um, and so that being said, I was like, well, being here in the Bay Area now for about three-ish years, three and a half years at that point, I was like, it seems to people when they make their exit, they usually go off and, you know, join a fund or they start a fund or they start investing in some sense, some formal aim to investment, right? They try and take those skill sets and knowledge they learn and impart that upon someone else and create another multiple of returns. Um, so, you know, obviously I saw that and I was like, but I also saw the potential for the multiple returns you can get from crypto. But also on the same side, I have so many friends who are building companies because I had been advising companies for about two years at that point, um, rather successfully. Uh, one of the ones we I advised, Cypher Browser, uh, we sold to Coinbase, which is now Coinbase Wallet. Uh, and then Pete Kim, the founder of uh, Cypher Browser, is now their head of wallet engineering and works directly alongside Balaji and uh, Brian now. So shout, shout out to Pete. Uh, but, uh, you know, we also advise a few other companies, uh, uh, Spank, uh, Spank Chain, um, uh, Connext. And so, you know, we had been, you know, very focused on building out the space, very hands-on from technical business advisory standpoint. But then we also had so many friends that were wanting to build companies that we knew were talented because we had been working with them and really all they needed was capital. And then so really kind of all made sense that we were like, all right, well, we want to have a fund, but we also want to have the flexibility to do hedge-like investments because we do do passive trading, and there is a strategy to that. Um, but we also want the flexibility to make the liquid investments uh, and to into either like you know new token-based assets, whether it's a public chain or like actual like infrastructure equity into companies that we're just going to like build build on top of crypto. 
And so I was like, cool. So why don't we just do all three? So we ended up with a dualistic fund. Uh, so our hybrid, we're doing both hedge and VC, but we also um, do advisory as well as a means to kind of monetize the pipeline and also build a more, you know, enriched proprietary pipeline um, that we feel could be incubated uh, and more mature. So when we actually go to uh, commit LP uh, LP funds and et cetera, you know, we have a much larger propensity for, you know, very successful return. So kind of have this very three-pronged formulaic approach to ensuring that uh, we have a good you know, pipeline of businesses, um, but also we are building and investing in enriching infrastructure and founders that will eventually trickle down to the bottom of the funnel, which is like our, our liquid asset that we manage in the hedge. So, so essentially uh, trying to, you know, kind of like tackle multiple sides of the market with our, our skill set. So it's just myself, my other founding partner, Kyle Forkey, who is a civil engineer, and my other founding partner, Christopher Russ, who's uh, studied EE and computer science at Stanford. Uh, Kyle and I, we both went to Old Dominion University. And then we brought on four advisors, um, Matt Pruitt, our crypto economic advisor, who's also the leader, co-leader, excuse me, of the radical exchange movement that Glenn Wild created from Rattle radical markets mm-hmm. uh and then alalu Suntukun, the creator of lightning andrew lee the founder of purse uh and kevin Zhao, the uh, creator of galloway capital previously the head of trading at um at kraken and wow. so you know i figured you know i could bring on some of the smartest people i knew uh to come to come together to help me to ensure that we are successful at one point we even had joseph poon the other creative lightning as a advisor for the first year but once a uh, handshake was announced um we had to take a step back so we could focus on that launch okay. um but you know so we've had some you know some great uh, great partners you know we're working with some excellent advisors we've got some really awesome lps you know we work with uh, bitmain protocol ventures uh ari paul from block tower a bunch of folks uh great. and so we have a very small lp pool we keep it very exclusive uh, usually to those that are familiar with our track record and the companies that we work with, uh, only mm-hmm. because like I don't, I just don't like the concept of long sales cycles. And and if you knew anything about what we've done in crypto, you know we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more so like was like finding folks that could respect our autonomy, wanted to bring on capital, gain exposure to crypto from both a liquid side and an illiquid side, but at right. the same time wanted to put their money into technical fund managers that were not only engineers in the space but were also finance professionals. And right. I felt like that was something that, that that no one else could really offer, or if they could offer it, they could only offer it in pieces and not the whole package. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I I am very confident in the, like you know success and the uh, capability of my two other founding partners, as well as like all of our advisors, that anything that kind of comes our way, we can tackle. So, right. with that, we also created the uh, the CFWG, the Crypto Fund Working Group, which is now up to about 180 individuals, uh, probably somewhere north of like 60. 70 plus like firms um like crypto funds uh and uh and you know just other capital allocators in the space um that are just trying to stay on top of crypto and, and the uh engagement and uh any deal flow and potential discounts with uh service providers things like that of like working together in a group so we we, we kind of congeal everyone together into the working group and awesome. uh, so we can like yeah, just like maintain conversations. You know, there is no professional like entity there. It's more so like, hey, we're all building crypto. We all have large networks and we all need to be having more technical and more intimate conversations about these technologies and how we're approaching them, how we're approaching regulations um, right. so that we can all be better as a whole. Right. And, um, you know, I, I came into this as a means as I felt that I concretely understood the crypto side and very much understood the business side of like fun things and so i guess i kind of saw myself as like jumping in and playing like referee to ensure that the capital allocators and the technical individuals and founders could over time become more aligned that's great maybe more more of the same yeah i think i share the same sentiment that you know obviously coming from the family office world and wanting to protect those instead of you know instead of them just going wild into the ICO craze, providing as much education, providing really talented mm-hmm. people that understood this space so they could avoid you know, catastrophes. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, you and I are definitely aligned on that. Mm-hmm. Now getting into the portfolio, um, mm-hmm. you spent a lot of time talking about kind of your, your passion and your kind mm-hmm. of entry into the world vis-a-vis the internet and spending a lot of time there. 
um, and two of the kind of the portfolio companies that are in there that I wanted to talk about first were Namebase and Handshake. Mm-hmm. Two two projects I've been following personally myself. But maybe you can give the listeners a little bit of a breakdown of what what they do. But then in, in kind of digging a little bit further, my understanding of of projects like Handshake is that they're trying to create a decentralized DNS, a domain name server, mm-hmm. and they're trying to kind of decentralize that process. And mm-hmm. so someone who's very passionate and spend all this time on the internet, now you seem to be supporting the the kind of the decentralized internet. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do we what do you think about the current state of the internet 2.0? Um, and why are you investing in projects like Namebase and Handshake? And what are they doing to create a new world order? Yeah, man, of course. Um, great question. Uh, I don't know about whole new world order from the traditional meme sense of new world order, mm-hmm. um, but it definitely uh, trying to reorganize uh, order, uh, I guess, maybe a little bit more justly and a little more fairly. And what I mean by that is so kind of like handshake, as you said, you know, is a means to decentralize the Internet, which kind of. You know, it kind of seems like a mouthful when you just say that once. Like, what do you even mean by that? So, um, for any listeners that aren't familiar, the internet runs on you know what are called like domain name servers. So, when you go to go to a particular website, Google.com, that maps to a particular IP address, which maps to a particular like name server, which points to which is like the actual name itself, Google.com, which also like resolves to you all the data and information that you know Google has on their end of the server to provide you. In this case, like say like a search page. And so what Handshake seeks to do, HNS as opposed to DNS, um, is to when you go to the actual like root anchors themselves uh, in order to resolve a name, which is either resolved through at this point right now what's called a zone or through the actual like resolver like anchor itself. So, you know, ICANN, which is one of the uh, uh, leading purveyors of uh, issuing um, like top level domains uh, on the Internet. And it's a a U.S. based company itself. And I believe. 12 other entities and certificate authorities are the ones that are like, you know, legally compliant and able to issue and dole out these names. Um, but also at the same time, they kind of act as like the administrators to like kind of like the greater internet. And so what Handshake seeks to do is to be a compatible, I guess, uh, resolver that sits alongside the existing internet. So what that means is you can essentially like point like you know your record of information of your server and where all your information lies and you can essentially append that to the handshake network itself uh, as a transaction on the internet and then anytime anyone wants to resolve a name essentially what their browser would do is it would first ask handshake hey handshake this person is trying to look up this name let's just say let's use arca as an example here just like arca slash so it will go to go to look up Arca slash. It'll go to the resolver on Handshake. It'll look at the address that owns that uh, uh, name, and it'll see the server that an address it points to. And then, then all that happens, you know, in, the, in a couple of milliseconds. And then that information comes back to you. And then you have the the the, the actual web page on your on your website. So all that's changed is that uh, what's going on in the background as far as the actual Handshake to determine where that information lives on the internet has now gone from a centralized like you know root uh, root anchor like uh, ICANN and like mm-hmm. all those other authorities um, and now it goes to a decentralized internet um, essentially handshake uh, as a means to do this so you can go through and update you know where your servers maps for all your names uh, and you know it updates at this at time at present like every six hours um, so essentially you know you're can update your DNS on your project side. Uh, it'll propagate through like our the domain uh, name servers for Handshake, and then now it's accessible through Handshake's network. So essentially, you can resolve your internet anywhere without anyone being able to censor um, you being able to resolve that name. Um, and so the the concept of this is there's more privacy, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't you natively don't have to go out of your way to like grab a VPN. Um, obviously, uh, you know. It's much harder to censor something like Handshake. Um, there are additional uh, kind of improvements being made on the network side to ensure it's even more difficult. Um, but you know, if you exist inside the Great Firewall of China, 
um, you can also have uh, more capability to be able to tell your way out of there and get information from the actual outside world, uh, which is also a very powerful thing, given there's so many, you know, billions of individuals that are not yet connected to our internet because of right. these firewalls. Um, so in that, in that same vein, they're also uh, removed from like our online commerce. And so it's a very interesting idea to be able to make an alternative root anchor that still works alongside concurrently the existing DNS, which is what uh, a lot of the mistakes other people have made in the past. It's like we want to just kind of reinvent the whole wheel. Mm -hmm. And what Handshake does is like, okay, we're going to work concurrently alongside you. We're going to be compatible with you. You can move your keys and your website and everything over here to Handshake. And we'll even give you a little bit of money to do it and to thank you for doing it. But if you don't, that's not a problem. Right. Your, your website is still going to work on the regular internet and right. uh, you can still use handshake and it'll resolve through it. But if you ever come to an issue where, you know, censorship is a, is a concern, if you ever come to an issue where you want to just have folks have, have more access to your website all over the world, mm -hmm. um, get around like limitations for like geo IP blocking and stuff like that. If you want to open yourself up to a larger market, uh, you would move yourself over to hand. There's so many incentives to move yourself like you just a couple of clicks over to, you know, a, a more, accessible version of the current current existing internet and so the idea is like if we if we've incentivized developers from the get-go to be able to build on top of this network because they'll get a portion of the network day one two-thirds of all the network's uh, um, uh, assets to be mined or owned will be available to uh, developers day one in their wallets uh, and they'll be able to claim it using their github uh, keys ssh keys mm -hmm. um, that they've attributed into their accounts their ssh keys their pgp keys basically the keys that they have mapped to github they'll do a handshake with the network uh, mm -hmm. and then they will get a pre-allotted amount of 5000 hns which is really cool. So right. it's also a means to like incentivize the commons of already pre-existing software developers to come behind and to basically, you know, take care of the network and kind of be like the custodians and the administrators of helping to build it. And so the takeaway, yeah. so the takeaway is yeah. for folks that are not as sophisticated as you, mm -hmm. is that there is a new decentralized internet being built. And they don't have to blow up everything today to start using it. Yeah. And then so it's been in the process of being built for about two and a half years now. So this isn't something that has just come out of the blue and it's just going to like, you know, take everybody by storm. It's just right. a secret thing. Uh, it's been worked on for about two and a half years. And so when I'm, my time at first, when I was leaving, I believe is when JJ was starting to work on this. But, um, you know, I've come along since then and have obviously I made investments into the space with folks mm -hmm. that are uh, uh, through Handshake, but also through uh, an exchange, uh, which is called Namebase. So you can mm -hmm. kind of very simple, simply think of it as the Coinbase uh, um, that is to Bitcoin. Uh, Namebase is to Handshake. Um, so, so Namebase in an actuality, we actually sell, uh, share investors. So Namebase, we also invested in alongside them with Sequoia, uh, Coinbase Ventures, uh, I am blockchain paradigm, those guys, uh, which is really cool, um, just to kind of see all this huge support. So Namebase will be the first major exchange, KYC AML exchange in both the U S and China launching concurrently for the launch of handshake on mainnet. Um, so essentially, you know, day one, you'll be able to buy and sell like handshake names through an online web portal. Um, again, the, these are all these names are reserved and purchased and bid on uh, on the actual handshake blockchain itself, mm -hmm. except you're going through the actual front end, which is just name basis website. So similar as you use Coinbase to send a Bitcoin transaction, but it still goes over Bitcoin on name base. You use use it to like bid and buy and manage your handshake names, but it all happens over handshake. Is it kind of like decentralized GoDaddy? Uh, not at least not decentralized because it's a centralized like actual company mm -hmm. um and so started by uh, a taishun tai, excuse me taishun rokir uh mm -hmm. his sister and another gentleman named anthony Liu, uh and uh they essentially are from all from mit um and they were working on kind of like building out something that was extremely useful for handshake they landed upon building an exchange mm -hmm. and so they're they're trying to build you know the Coinbase equivalent for handshake. So not decentralized in any manner except for the actual names themselves. Right. So you control all your names. So essentially it's like GoDaddy, but they can't run off with your name or tell right. you, hey, you can't put your name at this server. So right. at, from that point, it's, it's about as good as it. So the way I like to say it is it's like Coinbase plus Namecheap. 
if you've ever used like if you ever use Namecheap before to like buy a domain name, it's very similar. Honestly, like UX UI is very similar process. Right. Um, we try to so, come up. We try to come up with analogies to make it easy for people. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course. And so you know, uh, the, we just need a means for folks to be able to get like handshake like day one. And on top of that, we've formulated a a, a group that I call the Handshake Alliance. So myself and another individual is kind of like taking, uh, you know, initiative to formulate this group. We have about like 50 developers now um, from about like five or six different for-profit companies. So it's just like a for-profit coalition since the Handshake Foundation will be dissolved on the launch of Handshake. There is no formal guiding um, group seeing as it's a decentralized protocol. So the Handshake Alliance are those building for-profit entities and services on top of Handshake and working together to build the commons the modules the the relationships the partnerships um to to maintain the network upon after its launch um and so kind of the the idea is that you know we've been through quite a few public chain launches we know kind of what are the best practices how to really do it well so i kind of volunteered myself to uh, especially since this is a project coming out of purse and bitcoin having worked there for two years very close with jj the creator of handshake so I was like, cool, man, you're working on Handshake. I'm investing. And I was like, you do your thing, and I'm going to do my end to make <laughs> sure this comes off successful, just like last time with Bitcoin. Great. And it just like, you know, this is a great thing about open source projects is you can just kind of just like jump in and just like own it. And it's just this, if you are just in it to win it, and it's just this meritocracy, and no one, no one has any skin in the game yet. The network's not even launched. It's literally just people that are just like honed in and focused on technology just for the technology. And it's this really fun moment where folks are just getting goosebumps and getting excited by something that's very very pivotal and potentially right. like world changing um but at the same time it's not quite live yet so we've now we've right. got to testnet four um which is our last testnet before mainnet so if i had to estimate i would I'd put it no further than maybe 90 days out from now okay. uh for the launch of uh, the mainnet so that's pretty exciting uh and then obviously once that happens you know, the real work begins um, um but uh, we have pretty much everything you'll need when the launch comes from uh, mining GUIs and uh, being able to instantly, you know, set up your miner on Windows, Linux, or Mac, uh, being able to run a miner on uh, AMD or NVIDIA as well. Um, we've got uh, block explorers and uh, name reservation services, offline desktop wallets that are already compatible with multi-sig and uh, ledgers and hardware wallets. We have multiple multi, multi-client daemons that'll be ready. So we have the HSD daemon, which is written in Node, but we also have the SPV resolver mm-hmm. uh, that's written in C, and then we also have the another uh, daemon which is the being written in Rust. Um, so we're trying to come out with you know one not only one light client with support, but two multiple like full node clients for, for like you know full node diversity out of the gate, right? And essentially just making sure that, that everything is in place to take on all the developers that are going to be coming in like hey i've got this free money what do i do with it now what do i work on well here's a slew of like 10 or 12 things that you can start contributing to here's some here's some documentation here's all the resources here's a community that we already have pre-built for you just join us and so like if you can have all those things out of the gate your project is going to be far more successful and you won't have to go through like the one year one and a half two years of like general community building developer Mm -hmm. building evangelizing and all that stuff we already had two years of a head start so thankfully for us we already began that process so when handshake comes out we'll probably be about a year ahead of most projects that are usually launch on day one awesome Um, you know most projects launch and they don't even have wallets for you to be able to spend your access (laughs) like for instance like grin and things like uh atoms and cosmos and they launched a little bit too early and and not and and in some ways in really right ways and in some ways really wrong ways so the way i'm looking at it is we're taking a look at that and we're saying where will we have done it differently how would we have done it differently given what we have already known and that's what we're trying to do right now slow and steady uh, wins the race the, exactly you know and right. then on top of that you know i gotta run the fun during the day so right. so, so you know it's a uh it's a lot of work um, but it's a lot of fun because you right. constantly get to learn every single day from so many smart people. And uh, honestly, I couldn't go back to doing anything else. I would, I'd <laughs> feel like I wasn't getting anywhere. So one other project I want to talk about before we go into signal and noise um, out mm-hmm. there and then learning a little bit more about you. So Scent, um, it's an interesting mm-hmm. project. And basically, if you read what they, their mission statement is, it's enabling anyone to earn income from anywhere. Um, and so 
there have been projects like Steam and LivePeer, you know, basically taking the the platforms and the the processes that we would have in normal internet. And so, if anyone writes on Medium or if anyone you know puts up you know a, you know kind of what they wanted to say on Yelp or any of that content, any of that data that basically feeds mm-hmm. these centralized machines, all of that is basically they monetize. They're the ones that are able to make the money off of that, not necessarily the user, not necessarily you. And so mm-hmm. Scent seems to be kind of flipping that narrative on its side and saying, wait mm-hmm. a second, you know, the, the human, you and I, are the ones that are providing that content. We're the ones that are providing the, the inputs. Why wouldn't it, why could we not be incentivized and remunerated for all of that? And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about send and then we're gonna go into signal and noise. Yeah, man, most definitely. Um, yeah, so so you, you touched on it. Um you, you've got the you got your head in the right spot. And then I would also add to that um the other uh, companies you mentioned like Steam and LivePeer, you know, uh, when it comes to a social network, it's it's by and large a two-sided marketplace. I need folks that want to view good content or socialize with you, but also I need folks on the other end that are creating that content and creating that socialization. Um, and that's hard enough as it is. Um, getting people to talk to each other on the internet, um, it was an easy thing. Getting people to cooperate and to socialize in network effects is something that has been like kind of like evolutionary as we've moved through LiveJournal, as we've moved through MySpace, we've moved through Facebook, and now what have you, Every all these other different social networks that have come up subsequently since then. And so they're all trying to do the same thing, get folks together in network effects and to hang out in different ways and to talk about things that they like. Now, we pretty much got that figured out. Like, we figured out folks like profile pictures, folks need DMs, folks need feeds to see what's going on, folks like live notifications so they can get information about the friends that they care about the most, people like the social recognition and status of having followers, da da da, da. There are some bare bones to social media that have not changed, that will not change now because we're so ingrained in them, but also it's because they kind of replicate things that we already do in our head, like tabulate who knows who, who knows what, um, who can I talk to where, um, you know, who would have certain types of information, like by being able to distill that down immediately from a social profile, we can do a lot of the things that we already do from like a normal human socialization standpoint. So all that being said, um, you, some of these folks introduce a third prong to this market and creating a three-sided market where they introduce another token or another asset they've created. So whether it's Steam, Steam or Live Peers, whatever it is, Live Peers, like native asset is, I forget off the top of my head. Um, they, they essentially not only have to sell them on a good ecosystem, a good UI, a good UX, but they also have to sell you them on the long-term value potential of their incorporated asset. So Scent kind of seeks to take both of these lessons, you know, everything we've known about social and everything that we've done right and gotten wrong about digital payments and social networks and kind of kind of seeks to kind of tie it all together. So, you know, we have extracted away, excuse me, abstracted away the need for an actual token itself. So we only use Ethereum. Um, because Ethereum is already, you know, solidified in the minds of many people. It constantly is already growing. So many different companies, applications, and capital is already applied to it. It will already grow without our, you know, help. We, we don't need to grow the network effect of Ethereum. Other people are already doing that for us graciously every day. And so it makes sense to kind of just like start there. So we built our uh, payment channel, state channel-like um, uh, uh, architecture for uh, taking in payments at scale, taking in ETH, you know, liquidity um, from the generalized network and putting it into the state channel network to be distributed amongst the users on the platform. So much like you were to have a Coinbase wallet or, uh, uh, or, or any other wallet and you were to buy Ethereum or Bitcoin and then move it to another wallet, you would essentially use uh, 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 Ethereum and move over Ether into your Coinbase wallet, which exists uh, 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 in inside of like sense like channel 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 architecture. So you bring in your assets, say one ETH, you deposit it into Cent, and now you have one ETH in your Cent wallet that can then be used across the network. So when your money is in Cent, um, you you enjoy no fees, uh, no gas. Uh, you know, instant finality and settlement between you and another user when sending payments. Uh, and then at any time, you can just pull your money back on chain back into your own wallet, which is really cool. So when you move in, it goes into this, like, uh, this, this, the, uh, 
this custodial still, but still like this control, like like payment channel network, so we can route payments around like instantly, which is really really cool. And so the reason we want to do that and not bring in like some sort of native token uh, is begin because it, it extracts away even more overhead, abstracts away like having to maintain uh, an actual you know token itself, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and improve the infrastructure around it when we could just build the kind of like. route and send payments around the network and so the way we've done that is we were just like well let's just go back to good old crypto economics good old mechanism design and couple that with you know layer two like state channels and see how we could you know serve the means of what folks would normally want to do with the token which is like build and create value but without having to create the token itself so we've have four different incentive mechanisms that kind of play that role and i'll kind of bridge, I'll bridge through this very quickly um, that's sorting, tipping, seeding, and bountying. And uh, bountying and seeding, I would say, are in their own category, and tipping and sorting are in their own. And so tipping and sorting allow you to basically like set up an account in less than 10 seconds, email, password, uh, you're signed in the sent, you have access, you set up your, your you set up your, your your sent wallet, and you immediately want to start making money. Well, all you need to do is just start leaving comments, creating content, making posts, uh, uh, and, and interacting with individuals on the site. And essentially, if if you have deemed done anything useful, an individual can altruistically provide you a tip, just like any other platform that has right. existed in the past or like getting tips. Nothing's really changed with those except that you can get uh, paid directly in ETH through the platform using like our state channel network instantly. So you can also do very, 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 very tiny amounts, um, which is excellent. So if you want to send 10, 11 cents to somebody, you can. Um, right. And you can do it uh, in an economical manner that makes sense. We're not spending more than it would cost for you to send it. And uh, on the other side of that, we also have sorting. So sorting is just as if when you upvote content on like Reddit, um, you can download it to curate the network. Um, you can sort through posts. So when individuals create posts and leave comments at the end of a post duration that, that the user defines at the start of the post when they create it, it goes through a 24-hour sorting period where... Uh, individuals on the network literally go through those posts. They sort through, do it via pairwise comparisons, um, which of those comments are the best. And those that make it to the top um, get what's called the bounty. So if you create a post and you attribute a bounty to it, say like two or three dollars, and you say, hey, guys, I want you to come follow me on Twitter, come subscribe to my YouTube, come mm-hmm. share this, come read this, share your thoughts. Um, folks will come through, you know, interact with your posts, et cetera. And then the sorting period is what dictates who will get your bounty. So if I say here's $5 and the top five posters are going to get, you know, a portion of this bounty, then the top five posters that were sorted will get, you know, each a dollar each. So, you know, kind of, and and then, and that, and then that feeds into another mechanism, which is called seeding, which is kind of a double-sided tip and a, uh, uh, kind of like staking. So, Say you have a post, you just created this post, you asked somebody, you said, I want five people to come along and do this task. They're each going to get a dollar. I, I see your post and I say, oh, this is really awesome. This is cool. I like what this guy is doing. Maybe it's interesting, it's intriguing. Maybe I find value on in the other side of whoever might be answering that question. So then I can seed that post. So seed moves your post further up in the ranking so it gets more visibility and traction mm-hmm. on the platform. But 25% of your seed goes directly to the creator of the post as a form of a tip. The other 75% may, remains weighted in the, in your channel, uh, in the channel for the post forever um, to be distributed amongst any other subsequent voters. So if I am the first person to see the post and I put in a dollar, 25 cent will go to me, 75 cent will go into the channel. Since I'm the only person in the channel, I get all 75 of those cents. Now, if another person came behind me and you know they put in a dollar to the user, um, 25% goes to the original poster. 75% is now divided amongst myself and the uh, and the previous person that seated before me, also a dollar, which also right. has 75 cents in the channel. So now we're both going to split that a dollar and fifty cent evenly, fifty fifty, because you both have equal weighting. Mm-hmm. And then as as more users come on, different values, like all that math changes. So the way is it, is it incentivizes good curation. It also rewards virality as it comes behind it, and also it creates a passive income where I'm going to reward your work, and if other people see value in that, 
I can not only make back my initial tip that I gave to you, but also I might have a potential to make any, even more additional multiples or returns. So kind of the way these things work are bountying and seeds work conjointly because they help bring new value into the network, new informational content via the bounty, right. but, but also new curation and uh, folks making money from that curation doing seeding. And then if you don't have any money at all, say you're from an emerging market, but you just want to contribute good content and make money with your opinions and your help on the platform, you can get money through seeding, I mean, excuse me, tipping and sorting. So it's basically it creates this like cyclical feedback loop of folks that bring in money, seek to, you know, garner, grow their reputation, reward users, et cetera, do that, curate items, and then also like make money for like their opinions. Mm -hmm. So you make money constantly in this network passively through other people, and then you reinvest it to like kind of grow your generalized reputation so that you have more followers, which means you show up on more feeds every time you make a post, which means you can make more passive income. So everything just compounds. Right. So we've, you know, engineered this in such a way to ensure that we can not only capture value, um, but not have to introduce any other sort of like fixed like token into the ecosystem. All we needed to do is just use some smart mechanism design to do all the same, to create the same types of incentives that a, a token will create, but using someone else's money. Mm -hmm. And someone else's money also is being used to reward actual content, actual value. You're not just, just buying buying a token and speculating. You are literally in, investing in assets that already have value into content that it already has value from valuable right. creators. Such an so interesting that's, that's project. The, that's, the, that's the fastest way I can explain it right now. <laughs> I'm getting better at it. I promise. <laughs> we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have the quickest way to understand it. We're gonna have Stephen on again, and we're getting into the top of the hour. So I want to be able to find out a little bit more on the personal side. We're gonna have you mm -hmm. come back on the show and talk more about signal to noise. There's been a lot of things that have happened over the last week or so. Definitely. Yeah. You know, there's Satoshi's treasure. There's you know eToro doing a bunch of stable coins. There's uh, some uh, some delisting happening. I'm putting mm -hmm. that. I'm, I'm, I have my eyebrow raising on that one. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of interesting stuff happening in the world. Um, but, you know, getting to understand you, Stephen, on a personal level, mm -hmm. I find that there are two inputs that help the listeners kind of understand who you are a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So if you could, anything that you've read over the last, you know, say 30 or 60 some odd days that you think is really kind of important. And what type of music do you listen to when you're, you know, either coding or reading, you're looking, you know, you're traveling? What, what kind of mm -hmm. music are you listening to? Because I think that has a profound uh, kind of impact on one's personality. Yeah, um, things that I've been reading in the past 30 or 60 days. Um, yeah, so probably start with, uh, I've been focusing a lot on, so we are fun, we write a lot about governance, we write a lot about um, distributed project management, which is what it really is, uh, and kind of just like talking about how do you manage stakeholders at scale, who are, who are those stakeholders, how do you cater to them, what are their needs, etc. Um, and so on top of that, uh, I've been basically, figuring out how do you observe governance as it happens like organically and when is governance going well and when is it going wrong and um that stuff's really intriguing to me kind of given like my background right because i told you I, I shifted from cs and writing to systems engineering so obviously the social behavioral component and the management of people and systems intrigues me a lot so that being said there's there's still uh friction that happens as folks are you know kind of Crypto was born from a lack of good governance around money, and obviously it's going to come screaming through its adolescence, dealing with governance and helping to fix those things. Uh, and so it would be silly to think that we're, we're going to stop hearing that word. Um, and so like that being said, uh, what's important is to understand kind of the social behavioral coordination mm -hmm. and how to think about and talk about uh, coordination. So, you know, if we understand how governance works, that's all well and good. And we know the best practices for how governance works. That's all well and good. But if we can't actually do those things and interact with those with these new systems efficiently and know how to talk to each other and how to manage like each other as individual stakeholders effectively, none of that stuff is even going to end up boding well in the long term anyway. So I've been reading a lot of really awesome papers um, from back in the early 90s. Um, there's a gentleman, his name is David Wilcox. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, about like kind of like coordination, like behavior, things like that. And so I've been kind of just like compiling all of those uh, in relation to like psychology, social behavior, group dynamics, stuff like that. And so how does that apply to crypto? And so I'm actually writing a really short piece. We just put out one last night about like how to think about like autonomy and yeah. uh, organizations. And so I'm now I'm about to put out one like, well, in reference to autonomy and organizations and things like DAOs, mm-hmm. how do you think about like coordination of the individual person component? Like, you know, a DAO is the collective of like, you know, programmatic like inputs, but how does the individual person manage their own inputs and outputs? Um, that's an interesting component. And so, uh, you know, I've been writing about that Um, Well, not necessarily writing, but mostly just researching, about to put pen to paper probably in the next week to get something out. Um, But, you know, I think that uh, that's something where we have a lot of really deep technical subject matter experts, a lot of great mathematicians, a lot of great economists. But it doesn't necessarily translate to people that are really good at working on teams, working on distributed teams, managing highly functioning teams, right? You can be a very, very intelligent person, but still be a member on a very highly dysfunctional team, right? Mm -hmm. You might be the one like holding it all together. Just because you're able to like work as a collective and to get things done, that doesn't mean you had it got it done well. It just means you got it done. That's right. And um, so, you know, how do you take a look at uh, how everyone else is doing work and think about how how can I internally do it a little bit better to make these things easier to make these systems a little bit more socially scalable? Okay. Um, those are the things that are important to me right now. Um, you know, outside of, of the code, outside of the architecture, outside of all that stuff, because. Uh, you know, technical scalability is extremely important, but social scalability is what will get us there. Uh, and without that, um, do we really have anything? So um, that, that, that's 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 what's been on my mind. <laughs> and what about music? Uh, Music-wise, so on our podcast, uh, we usually curate all sorts of stuff from like hip hop, rap, uh, jazz. Uh, I like an amalgamation of all different types of music. Uh, I, I did some DJing uh, back in high school um, for like weddings and like receptions and high school dances and ju- junior proms and proms and all this sort of stuff. And so that was always really fun, like trying to figure out what music caters to a group of people or a niche and trying to like read a room, which is always which is fun to like train your intuitiveness. <laughs> um, and so I just I'm a huge fan of like hip hop. I like a like I like big band music. Like kind of like jazzier uh, hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a big fan of, uh, I guess you would call it kind of like modern, modern more so like soft rock. Maybe maybe more so like indie. This depends on the types. Um, but you know, those are the types of music I listen to when I listen to when I'm doing like technical stuff, programming, anything like that. I can't really listen to anything with a lot of words. Mm-hmm. So I listen to something with a lot of words and it just gets me like caught up and I can't really focus on like reading things like line by line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually like more classical stuff or like jazzy stuff or like instrumental related hip hop music uh, when it requires a lot of words and focus. But if it's just me chilling and stuff like that, and uh, especially with like other crypto people for just riffing and hanging out, all uh, there's 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 no uh, there's no rules it's what whatever whatever feels <laughs> right for the vibe which is usually like some kind of like hip-hop music amazing. uh but you know those are those are my roots that's where, that's where i'm from so it's what i'm familiar with amazing well this was an amazing conversation we'll have you back again Stephen, for sure Stephen at momentum you definitely check out some of the projects name base handshake scent um and mm-hmm. also check out steven's pod podcast block channel you can find it all over mm-hmm. the place he's been at it for a long time it's great having you on looking forward to having you on again steven take care of course thanks man thanks a lot appreciate it this layer this layer this layer